Welcome to the Adoptive Dad Playbook. Sit back, relax, and grab a beverage with your host, David Bischlein. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Adoptive Dad Playbook. Hope everybody's doing well in this summer of 2021. Uh, I know for my family, we are enjoying summer. We're going to be going on some vacations here soon and It's been good to kind of reconnect with the kids, but also at the same time, I would like them to go back to school. I am glad you guys decided to join us today, whoever you are, wherever you are, and it's going to be a good one. Um, So kind of some exciting news uh, on us over this past week. We got word that our uh, case in Korea has now been approved. So our submission to the Korean government was approved. So basically the Korean government approved that we can adopt. So that's a big, 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 big moment for us. We've been waiting for that for 97 days. That's a long time. So now the process will become us waiting for a court date in Korea. And at that point, we can then plan our travel. So stay tuned for that. So today's episode is a good one. I'm excited for this one uh, because it we're looking at a foster worker's view. So I have two gentlemen on. I have Zach Love and, and Terry Banks, and they're going to work for the Department of Human Services in Oklahoma, in the state of Oklahoma, and they give us a view of what it's like from the other side, the foster worker, the foster care view, and they do a phenomenal job explaining that. And we're going to get into that. But today's a charitable organization is one out of Oklahoma called 111 Project. And they are an organization that is there to help foster families, adoptive families, um, or just families that may be struggling possibly with that. And they work with churches as a way to provide food or clothing or maybe rental assistance. And the cool thing is they work with local churches to do that. Um, and, and, And what's really neat about this is that they are there to help families, whether it be foster or adoptive. That So that is 111project.org. I will put the, the web address in the show notes. But if you're looking for a place to support, or if you're a church in Oklahoma, give that a look. Without further ado today, we are going to go ahead and get into today's episode. As I said, we have a little bit different episode than probably most of you are used to. It's a little less you know, interviewee, and a little bit more just kind of us chatting about foster and adoptive care, uh, really foster care in this situation. Now, they're from Oklahoma, but I think it's a good example of all foster care in how they work and what they do, the sacrifices uh, that they make to try to make sure children are in the right home, and the right home is there for the children. Uh, Zach and Terry both do a lot of recruitment, and they also share with us what therapeutic foster carers, which is something I did not have any idea about. So without further ado, I would like you guys to hear what they have to say. And I appreciate you guys coming on and hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome everybody. Our guests today are Mr. Zach Love and Mr. Terry Banks. They both work uh, for the state of Oklahoma and their foster care system. And they're going to share with us today about how that works. And Zach is engaged to a piston. Watch out. They are feisty. And Mr. Terry, I just met Mr. Banks. Uh, and so he will share with us the dad perspective uh, on this. Gentlemen, first off, thank you for coming on the playbook. How are you doing today? Doing good. I'm excited to be here. 
Don't don't lie. You're not excited. <laughs> you're just excited to not have to work right now. I know you're on the clock. The state of Oklahoma is probably going to dock you the pay. All right? I know how those. Hey, we'll find are. out. I mean, it's all about recruitment and just trying to give a different perspective. So oh, you, you got know, there's ways to work it. It's basically like a write off. Like if you were working for the ad <laughs> agencies, you just go to a fancy lunch, you get that steak dinner. You know, they just kind of <laughs> <write it. laughs> don't mind if we do. Well, first, I want to I want to. I'll be honest. I know Zach. So when I was at Camp Barnabas, and if you guys have listened before, that was where I met my wife. And real special place. Zach was actually what we called a barn stormer, which were middle school age young men and women who would come in and clean the bathrooms and do the dishes. And Zach, I'm not going to lie. I don't remember you specifically because you had hair back then. Uh, maybe if I saw you with hair. Uh, and no beard, but now I was gonna say, if I dug a picture up with my long hair, you'd probably be like, Oh, that punk kid. I yeah, probably I would. And <laughs> I, and I know you're, and I know you're engaged to one of the, uh, the, the Pollock Pistons and they're just Jason and Sarah, just phenomenal people love both of the, both of them. And Mr. Uh, Banks, I don't know you, but I'm excited to get to know you guys. Uh, so let me first, how has COVID affected you guys, uh, your families and just maybe your work in general? How has that kind of affected you guys? I mean, if anything, I'm a little bit different approach than what other people probably have said. It's, in my opinion, it's kind of benefited because it's allowed us to work from home now um, instead of going to an office every day. So in my opinion, that's a huge plus. <laughs> um, but as far as like being able to recruit and get out there, it's a little bit harder. Um, so we've been trying to use our brains and come up with new ideas. Yeah, I agree. Um, so on a personal level, it's really nice just being home with my family. I'm married. I have three kids. We just had a baby in March. So March Congratulations. 30th. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And so it's, it's really nice to be home, be available for them. Um, uh, like Zach said, though, on a work level, on a professional level, it is harder. It seems like when everything just kind of shuts down, like, and our job is really to be in the community and outreaching, then it makes it really difficult to do that because the community is all at home. So yeah, definitely having to come up with more creative ways to, to um, reach them, but also with everything opening up slowly now, it seems that we're kind of getting back into the swing of it, which is nice. Yeah, I know in Missouri, it has, it's opened up. And I didn't think you guys ever closed in Oklahoma. I thought it never really affected you down there. <laughs> I mean, I think it just depends on which town you're in. Some it, it looked like it closed more than others, and some it I don't feel like it ever really closed. Does the panhandle of Oklahoma ever close? That's the question you have to ask yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've driven through there a few times, and my dad is from. You know, he was basically he wasn't born there, but he's raised in Enid, and I mean that's Enid, Oklahoma is like smack dab. I mean, what is that? It's, it's an hour west, hour and a half west of Tulsa. I mean, it's out there, and. One time I was, he went down and he shared that he used to cruise for chicks on Van Buren street. And I'm like, Whoa, that's gross. Dad. Don't share that. <laughs> you can cruise it for chicks. So I know those Oklahoma nights are not a lot to do out in the, <laughs> the panhandle. All right. So if you guys have listened, we have our up questions. I'm going to give them a couple here. All right, gentlemen, uh, Zach, since you're not married yet, I'm going to use the word fiance. What's the one thing that annoys your fiance, Zach and Terry for you, your wife. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I know annoys her is with this lovely beard I have, I'll play with it or like twist it. And she thinks it's so gross. 
Um, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's when I'm like concentrating or just not paying attention and she'll be like, stop that. And I'm like, Oh, my bad, my bad. Um, one thing that annoys my wife. So <clears throat> we tend to trade like dish duty, um, and just kind of inadvertently trade it, I guess. But when I empty the dishwasher, I have the tendency to just throw things on the countertop and then put the dirty dishes right into the dishwasher as quickly as possible. And if it's, and sometimes I, I think, oh yeah, I'm gonna come back to that. Don't worry, like I'll, I'll come back to this. And when it doesn't happen, she walks in and it's like, oh, they're, you know, bowls not put up where they're supposed to be. So that would probably be the most annoying thing to her. Thankfully, put, it doesn't happen too often. Why put them away if you're just gonna use it again? That's what I would exactly. You know, my, my thing is if something needs to be soaked, just let it soak. It cleans itself. And that's what I always say. So, True. all right. Are you guys video gamers? Do you play video games? And if so, what do you play? Uh, I am a video gamer, uh, but I wouldn't say I'm a huge video gamer. I'm kind of, you know, as I have time for it, <laughs> or if we're not deep into a TV show, we'll play, but it's typically on the Nintendo Switch or the PS5. Um, and you got an, you got a PS five. Yeah. I got a PS five. Wow. Must, nice. Must be nice. Must be nice. One of the few and proud. <laughs> uh, but PS five, we've been playing a lot of adventures of Sackboy Um, cause it's a good, like two to four person game. Yes. It's a very intriguing name. Um, but it's really fun to just, it's one that me and my fiance Rachel play a lot. Um, cause it's a good two person. And then we, whenever we have our niece and nephew down, it's still perfect for them too. Cause it's kind of a good age for everyone to go through different puzzles and just have a fun time. Sounds like, well, how about you, Terry? So I, I would say I used to be a bit more of a gamer in my younger days. Um, now I do have, I have like older systems, so I don't have a Nintendo switch or, or a PS five. I haven't, a PS2, which most people probably don't even know what that looks like anymore. Um, and I have a Nintendo Entertainment System, so an NES with the cartridges. And so it still works? It still works, thank you. Blow, yeah. so blow that dust out of there. Blow it out. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so we play, uh, we play more Super Mario Brothers 3 on the NES. Yeah. And... The kids seem to enjoy it. It seems to be, you know, it's a family-friendly game to do, which is nice. You know, it's fun to play Super Mario Brothers 3 on the Switch because you you get, uh, like, all those old Nintendo games when you join their their online. And so I'll be – my kids are like, what are you playing, Dad? Oh, this Mike Tyson's – well, it's called Punch-Out. When I was a kid, it was called mm-hmm. Mike I was going to say Punch-Out. Yeah. And Glassjaw Joey, and I was playing that, and the kids were laughing. And, and the nice part is you can, like, save all your progress. I'm like, cool, I can come back and start right here again. I was like, this is great. So I, it is fun. I think I played Tech Mobile. I was like, dang, Bo Jackson and Lawrence Taylor just tearing it up. So it just shows you how old I am. I'm 40 now. So just, you know, I'm really old. And uh, that's kind of the way it is. So, all right, well, let's hop right in here, guys. Um, since you guys both work for the Department of Human Services, why don't you guys just kind of share, you know, what you do and, you know, how long have you been there and just kind of just what you do to kind of set the base for our, for our listener. My parents listen. Hey, I mean, I'm just glad that I can finally be here and be one of the two people that your parents have heard on your podcast. So this is the third. This is the 12th episode. So, I mean, OK, 12 and one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But no, I, we both work for Department of Human Services um, in the foster care and adoption recruitment um, side of things. Um, I've been with the agency now for seven and a half years. Um, crazy to think about when I thought I'd only be here one year, but we're making it work. <laughs> um, and basically our goal, um, I've done anywhere from working with the bio families and trying to get those bio families back together um, to working with our traditional foster families, making sure they have what they need, um, whether that's therapy or making sure placements are working out a for the child, but B for our families. Um, and then now we've been doing recruitment and then some therapeutic and intensive therapeutic foster care. Um, just really trying to make sure that we get good families in here and answer any questions that come along the way. Yeah. So, a uh, similar situation for me. I've actually been with the agency. It'll be seven years next month. Um, I've had three different positions in the realm of child welfare at DHS. So I was uh, an investigator through Child Protective Services for a few months. Uh, then I worked as a caseworker, a permanency planning worker, which um, helped the biological families, kind of like what Zach was talking about in getting them services, getting the children services um, with the goal of reunification ultimately. And then transitioning from there into foster care recruitment and getting some other roles in foster care recruitment where we're doing outreach, we are uh, walking with families through the assessment process, through that paperwork um, of getting their home approved. And then uh, also, on the other side of that, I'm doing TFC, therapeutic foster care, and intensive treatment family care. When you when you were an investigator, what kind of things did you do there? What kind of things did you have to do for that? Yeah, so when I was investigating, this is more um, when a referral gets called into the department, we go investigate what the allegations were. So... Um, depending on what the allegations were, like if it was a uh, some sort of neglect or abuse, we would be kind of the first responders in the home to uh, to talk with the family. And they, they ultimately are assessing the family. And that's when you would see um, decisions to be made, whether the, the child even needs to be removed from the home would be on that investigator's end. Did you make that decision? Um. So DHS is kind of a weird middle ground. Uh, we report what we see to the court and then the court, the judges, the ADAs, they are the ones that ultimately make the decision. Um, we have no legal standing to, to pull a child out of a home um, from their biological family, but, it's, uh, but we do tell them everything that we're seeing, the concerns that we have. So when you were called to a home, what was it? was the majority of the time, like this was the right call or do you think people overreacted? Like what, that's always something I've always, as a, as a teacher, I am a mandated reporter. The kid right. says I'm getting beat. I have to make that call. No questions asked. Now the high school level, I've, I haven't had to do that, but you know, a few handful of times, if less than that, but the deal is, I, you know, I think at the elementary level and middle school, they probably get a little more, uh, but what, what was that like to go in and investigate? How did parents act and, you know, other people involved? Yeah, I think in my experience, and I only did this for a few months, but 
just in my experience of, of going into someone's home kind of blind to the situation other than what's been reported, um, we would see a couple of things. Sometimes there were, the allegations were completely false. Like there wasn't any actual issue. The allegation didn't um, fit within what we're, we're seeing. Um, but there were times that maybe we walk into a situation and what's on what the allegation says could be something different than what we're seeing. So we may see something completely different, um, but it's still potentially harmful for the child or a safety threat to the child. Um, so yeah, it was kind of back and forth. I mean, there are multiple situations of where you go into a home and there's not really anything that, that is concerning. Um, but there's multiple factors that go into that too through our assessments. Um, well, I can't remember what your last question there was. Though, just I mean, what just, that was like. just what it was like to go. I mean, were people, could you know right oh, away yeah, someone's going to be helpful? Or, or was it just you walk in and most people just kind yeah. of quiet? I think people tend to have kind of a, a, a fear of DHS. They hear DHS and they think, oh, like I don't want to, don't want to mess with them. There's kind of this idea that DHS will just remove your children. Um, and so I think the department has worked really, really diligently in ensuring that, you know, if, if there's a situation that it could be harmful to a child, yeah, we need to address that. But ultimately we want to do what is best for the family. And so we do want to walk into somewhere and, I don't know how a family operates. So I have to come into it as a, someone who maybe my bias towards particular action is, is very, um, it's different, just different than what, what that family, how they operate. So if you, if you come into a home and, and you're willing to help, I think it kind of alleviates some of those concerns, but most people I think have just kind of a fear based of DHS. They don't, they don't want to talk to them. Kind of reminds me of that Simpsons episode where Bart, uh, Homer and Marge lose Bart and, it's the, and they go next door to the Flanders. That was always when I, I think people always think, well, they're going to come in and take them and take them right next door to the next door neighbors. <laughs> 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 there's my, there's my pop culture reference for this episode, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you've talked, I know Zach, you told me all about your therapeutic foster care. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what is that and how does that differ from traditional foster care and how do you recruit people for therapeutic over traditional? Yeah. Um, so for the most part, therapeutic foster care, um, ranges basically from four to 18 typically. Um, and they typically have some kind of mental health or behavioral health needs that cannot be meet in the traditional setting. Um, and then we also make sure that we provide on top of their basic needs, um, that of the child that, we also are giving them, you know, constant supervision um, or they might need help adjusting to the home or school setting um, that they also get, you know, weekly therapy in the home. They, they're going to have wraparound services. They're going to have all this extra training a um, that they will do to become a therapy foster home compared to what a traditional th uh, foster home will be, but they're going to have a lot more, wraparound services coming in to work with this four to 18 year old child um, that has these issues where traditional foster care for the most part is zero to 18 
um, as soon as they are born, um, if they come into a situation of abuse or neglect, then we're looking for that traditional home where we're, we've kind of got rid of the thought process that no matter the age of the child, that there isn't anything wrong, I guess you could say in quotation marks. Um, and we've learned that for the most part, almost every child needs some kind of therapy to help them adjust, to help them, you know, continue to cope even after, if, if they were removed as a baby and put into this foster home and that foster home ends up adopting, then we've learned that they still need that therapy to build that bond because they're still missing out on that nine month bond before they were into the actual real world that they had with this natural mom. Um, so it's really just making sure that a, a traditional, you're still going to have that therapy, but B therapeutic is going to be in the home. There's going to be wraparound services. You're going to have all these things that you probably almost need as a traditional foster home. Yeah. That was going to be my, that was going to be, where I was going to take that. How do you decide who gets therapeutic? Cause I'm sure that people that are listening and men and men that I've interviewed that have done foster care, I mean, most children, if you know, even younger children require or should have that. How do you decide who gets that therapeutic foster care? Um, I think it's more so on, it, it's more going to end up being more so on the child's worker. Um, I can't speak for other states, um, but in Oklahoma, every child that comes into care, they have their own worker. Um, and that worker is basically advocating for that child and that family and making sure that they have everything they need um, to succeed. And I, I know for, again, Oklahoma, because that's some, where I work, so that's the main state that I can talk on. Um, but in Oklahoma, our number one goal is reunification. Um, so when I'm saying that child and the parents, as long as it is a good home and as long as they work their service plan, we're going to start looking at reunification. Um, but as far as the difference between therapeutic and traditional, it's really making sure that that child's worker is realizing everything that's happening in that child's life and saying, Hey, we probably need to step it up. Um, because due to this behavior report, we went and got it analyzed and we see all this going on. So we may, he, he, she, um, they, them may not be a good fit for traditional. I know that's where we're at right now as we wait. Um, sometimes we may end up going to like a group home um, or shelter, unfortunately, something that's not quite that family oriented um, while we wait and try to find that therapeutic foster home. Because I don't know, Terry, if you remember what numbers we have, but I think our therapeutic side is pretty low, at least for the state of Oklahoma, something like 50 homes or so. Yeah, I don't remember the exact number of kiddos that are in care um, that qualify for for TFC. Um, and just to kind of add on to that, I think that there's also some some work from the permanency planning worker or the caseworker in the situation where they are. Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't think they make any sort of decisions alone in what qualifies for TFC. I think there's a, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, I think goes through some of that. And yeah, I think there's, I think there's a whole group of people. Um, I just know the first step generally is that going to be the child's worker to yeah. start thinking. They're going to see it first. Yeah. They're going to have, I mean, cause they're working directly with the foster parents too. 
that are, that have that child in their home. And so um, most of the time they're going to be the first ones to know some of those behaviors that they're seeing. And, and when they, <clears throat> when they start seeing those concerns, then they can bring them up to, you know, their supervisor and kind of go up the chain from there and, and looking at um, maybe a higher level of care for the child. That makes sense that I would imagine that, because I know you guys are big, you're, you're, one of your main jobs is recruitment. And I can take my next question. How do you recruit therapeutic foster? How do you sell it? I, I'm like, man, maybe I'll foster care. Sell me right now. Why should I be therapeutic foster care? All right. I, I'm like, well, we're thinking about it. You know, sell me. I'm at the used car dealership. Sell me that. All right. Give me that uh, therapeutic foster care. <laughs> You want our pitch is what it is. Yeah, man, listen, I'm, you got to earn that money. All right. The, state, the, taxpayers, the taxpayer state of Oklahoma expect you to be right. I know how those Oklahoma people are. They, they, don't, they don't like government too much down there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so now what do you, well, how do you sell therapeutics? I, I, I've heard the foster care and you know, you've seen the commercials. Anybody can foster it. Like, but I, I think personally like, Ooh, therapeutic. Oof. You know, that's got to be an overwhelming. I, I'm sure when you talk to men, especially probably, ooh, therapeutic, ooh, therapy, ooh. You know, how, how do you sell that? How do you sell that to the families, especially the men? That's a good question. Are you going to start? Uh, I think so. Just to maybe outline a couple of things to make sure we have some basics down. DHS does not have technically therapeutic foster care homes. Um, these are all uh, like third party agencies that have therapeutic homes. So the way we have discussed a lot of like recruitment efforts towards like kind of targeted recruiting um, is that we want to look at um, a lot of current traditional homes if we're seeing some really good things from current traditional foster care homes, uh, then there may be some willingness and some mainly because they know the process of what traditional looks like. And it's not a terribly different process to become therapeutic, like certified. Um, but they would have to go through a third party agency. Um, and if we're just seeing good things from that home that we, we feel some confidence in, that they would um, be able to care for children that need that higher level of care, uh, then hopefully, you know, we put them with the right agency, they can get the tools necessary and then go from there. Um, for general public, I think it's a little bit tougher because uh, I find that a lot of people that I talk to look at traditional foster care is sometimes really difficult and it can be really difficult and therapeutic almost sounds like an extra level to that. And in some ways there are, I heard recently from an agency though, from a therapeutic agency that they have, they are able to care for children better because they are really, um, what's the word they are, they know that child so well, that they know those behaviors so well, they're able to then go and um, serve that child on their level. And they know they just, they're more acquainted with the child. They know who that child is. They know the behaviors. Zach, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, I mean, I want to say one thing. I, I want to say, I love when you guys talk because I think a lot of times, 
for a lot of people, especially not in the foster and adoption realm and, and you guys working in it and me walking this journey, it, a lot of people view, you know, I've talked about this previously, like, oh, there's an orphanage, it, it, whether it be in Ukraine or mm-hmm. whether it be a foster family in Oklahoma, that these kids are all, you know, life's hard and they watch the movie Insta Family. I, I was going to ask you that later. You know, what, is, is that is that real life? You know, and, and so. I think it's great that you that you're really emphasizing that you are putting the child's needs first. People view foster care, you know, as even myself for a while, I was like, it's a machine, it's a bureaucracy, they're doing what's easiest. But I really like that you guys are emphasizing that we are looking for the best families, the all-star rock star families that can help these kids that, as you guys call it, kiddos, I hate that term. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I love it. And thank you so much for emphasizing that, that foster care is meant for the child. This is not just something. And you guys are obviously caring and passionate, but I love it. So I just want to say that, that you talking has shown that you guys are there for the children. This isn't just convenience. You're not just out there to get it done. Sorry. Go ahead, Zach. That's that's good. I think, I think you're doing a good job on the therapeutic and uh, side of it and just trying to explain it. Um, But to go with what you just said, Dave, um, I recently just approved a traditional foster home that they don't have the everyday general um, needs and things that we've gotten used to. Um, So they don't have Wi-Fi in the home. They don't have any technology. They don't have a TV in the home. And so speaking of children's needs, I was like, so whenever we look at placing a child here, make sure that they understand, like, yes, they can have a, their tablet or whatever if they bring it, but they may not have Wi-Fi, but they're, gonna, they're willing to go to the closest library and upload stuff. Um, and a lot of it's because this family lives on a farm and they would rather still, you know, use the child's imagination, go do outdoorsy things rather than stay inside and, you know, work on a computer or play games or watch movies. They do a lot of things with their hands. Um, they're very crafty. And so what, when I was assessing this home with their current foster care worker, I was like, Hey, we really need to make sure that this is going to be a good fit for a child, not just our family. Because if you tell a child in today's world, Hey, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no TV. Bye. <laughs> How am I going to watch Mr. Beast and Dude Perfect on YouTube? That's what I got to ask. I mean, my kids would yeah. my kids wouldn't know what to do with them. Like, oh, no Disney Plus. What are we going to do? Uh, but that's awesome. I, I think that's, you know, I think it's great. You know, listen, I, I enjoy watching TV too. But yeah, I mean, in modern world, especially not having Wi-Fi for a kid, yeah. especially during the pandemic. I know in Missouri, we went virtual or at least ended the year. I know some schools went back. But yeah, I think that's good. It's a good family fit for the family, but also for the child. And there's, you know, everybody's different when it comes to foster care. Let me let me ask you this, Terry, as a father yourself, how has working in foster care kind of changed your view of parenting or has it? Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a good question. Um how has it changed my view or how has it shaped you? Maybe as you, as you've grown, I know you just had a child. Is it shaping you probably comparatively with a, with someone that works in an office building? Right. I think that, I, I think it would honestly depend on, you know, what my ultimate view of parenting is, which is almost what you said. It's a die to sell, right? Like it is a, it, there is no, um, I mean, I could be selfish in parenting and I certainly don't want to excuse myself from that, but ultimately it is a die to self practice daily 
with having three children, having a wife. Um, and the same thing kind of equates to foster care. Um, I am not a foster parent. I have done respite care before and it is hard. It is difficult. And um, to have someone else come into your home, it, it really does take um, a lot of effort and diligence on your end and discipline to serve someone else. So I think that's how it's kind of shaped me. Um, even working through uh, through permanency planning or that caseworking role, um, ultimately I, I know logistically how to keep my children safe, but then we're looking on another level of like uh, what's going to be best for them. Yeah, I I think sometimes I don't. It would have to affect you. Like one of the security. Well, one of the one of the people we have work at our school, he worked in sex crimes in the city of St. Louis, uh, basically like SVU, I guess. And, and he just the things that he saw, I mean, that would affect you even subconsciously. And I'm sure that, Zach, yeah. if you guys do have children, I'm sure that will affect you. I'm sure Terry probably affects. I know the teaching affects me subconsciously and how I view it. Yeah. I think as a father, I'm sure that even subconsciously, you probably think. This has probably affected you and you don't even realize it, I would assume. Probably. Yeah. Um, all right. So I know you guys don't necessarily, this is not part of your job, but how do you decide which family is going to get, or how, what child is going to go with which family, I guess, or in which family is going to go with which child, any way you want to slice it or dice it? Um, I know for like, if you're looking at just traditional homes, um, we unfortunately don't have like the best method because um, sometimes we're looking for a home that night. Um, so it may be where we're looking at a list of homes that they're willing to take this age range. Um, so we kind of look and see um, who would be a good fit um, for that particular child. Um, and so then we'll start calling around and checking. Um, but one of the big things, again, going back to making sure it's a good fit um, is when we call or even when I approve a home, I tell homes, don't hesitate to say no, because I don't want them to say yes to a child that isn't going to be a good fit for them, but also not a good fit for that child. Um, and I know that our number one goal is to find a good home for that child, but sometimes the best thing to do is to say no, and hopefully we find another home or hopefully a family member comes up. Um, cause one of the big things on top of recruitment is we are always looking for that kinship placement. So that aunt, uncle, coach, teacher, someone that's going to keep be able to keep that child in their community and their closest to their proximity of familiarity. Um, so there's a lot of things kind of going back to, like you were saying, like our goal is to make it a good placement for that child or children um, whenever we have to unfortunately bring more children into care. Um, but then on top of that, just checking with our families and making sure they're well equipped to handle that child's needs. And I don't know if I miss anything, Terry, or you have anything else to add to that? Um, I think that that was a really good answer. I think that there is, there is an element to that we, especially with fostering, our families get kind of the, um, they have the opportunity to have preferences on age range and gender and, and some choices in when they can, on who they want to come into their home. So um, yeah, when DHS calls them and says, hey, we have a, 
I don't know, like a, a six-year-old male coming into custody that needs a placement for this evening. Um, then they they have the opportunity to say, well, okay, six-year-old that that uh, you know we're willing to take up to ten. So yeah, we'll take that child um, for however long we need to. So yeah, they do get some preferences in that as well. Yeah, I was always wondering that, and I and I'm sure a lot of it just what's available. I do know that as well. I mean, I'm not going to act like the, how many foster families are you short and how many like more children do you have than foster families is basically. Mm. That is a good question. I'm going to look up some statistics. All right. Well, you're saying that's a good question where we would probably need to look something up because we would hate to like lie, but we know that I, at the same time, we're, we're always short. Right. Well, like, and that's kind of what I was, that's kind of what I'm trying There's to get always at. a need. Right. And that's kind of what I was more curious. Like if you, if you were average, like we're a hundred families short or 200 short or just something of like that. And I didn't know if you had that kind of number on top of your head. Um, but it, it, I think that's, there's a real need for that. But so I want, I think number one, I think a lot of people don't know foster care. Like, I don't know. What's it like to be a child? So let's say you're an, a child and you get pulled from your home, kind of step us through that journey from the child's eyes so that, you know, let's say they're, they're old enough. Like I have a seven-year-old son, let's say seven, you're old enough to kind of know what's going on, but you don't really know what's going on. So share with that, what that's like. I was going to say, Terry, you want me to take it? <laughs> I see you looking. I mean, like, is he gonna I think we're, I mean, we've both been permanency workers. So we have seen what it looks like from the child's end where, um, it could be that they're coming to the office with us for a few hours till we find the placement. I mean, are the police like, do the police come with you to do that? I like, do you go, you know, so if the investigators at the home and the police are involved, then they will, the police can help, you know, uh, DHS remove the children, keep it civil, I guess, more or less when the child is removed, then Majority of the time, if there isn't a, uh, a kinship, so someone who has known the child before they came into custody or is related to that child um, that they can go to that is a safe option, then they're going to be looking at traditional homes, which right. is, you know, who we're recruiting for. So, um, yeah, I mean, it could look like they're coming to the office with us, driving hours around the state with us through the night. Um, not us personally, because we aren't. We aren't in the, the case working realm now, but when we were, that was our job. Like that's what we would we would do. And there were those instances where we may be driving three or four hours away to place a child. And then you looking at proximity, like Zach was saying earlier, um, that is so far away from their family. That is so far away from their school. They might not know anyone or anything out there <laughs> And all in the meantime, DHS is, is also working to get that child placed with a family member. So sometimes it doesn't happen on that evening, but it happens throughout the life of a case. Um, but yeah, I think that's, if I was a child watching that, I mean, they may be even seeing casework changes, caseworker changes where they, they had a worker who was seeing them for months, every month, you know, they'd come out and see them or, um, a counselor that they were seeing every every week or every two weeks. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, that counselor left their agency or the worker has gone to another field or has left the agency. 
So yeah, they're seeing a, they're dealing with all these changes as well, along with being removed from the one home that they know. So you can add on to that, Zach. Um, the only thing I was going to add really is, I mean, Terry, you covered it great. The only thing I was going to add just a little bit is when we are looking at those investigations, sometimes we will also do um, something called a safety plan. Um, and it's where we try to keep, you know, the state out of anything with this child's life, but we figured out that, you know, we might need a week break. And we found this safety monitor that was willing to do our background checks. And we decided that they were a safe person. It's also a place where the child wants to be, the parents want the child to be. And we're hoping that this person is willing to kind of step up, keep the child safe till we can say that this abuse, neglect, whatever the safety threat is, is resolved and we can bring the child back into the home or children back into the home. Um, that's best case scenario. And we've seen started to see more of those, at least here in Oklahoma. I think other states are starting to do it as well because they're starting to see as parents, sometimes you just need that break to either clean the house up because it was a messy situation or you just need a minute to do a complete mind reset um, and so having a visit at grandma's or having a visit at your aunt's, um, or uncle's or whatever it may be, may have been the perfect thing for the whole family. And then yeah. while we're there doing that safety plan, we're also trying to set them up for success and make sure that they have parenting classes or whatever it may be, um, to where we don't have to come back in because yeah. best case scenario, we wouldn't be in anyone's lives, but mm-hmm. sometimes to be to keep the children safe and give them the best opportunity to yeah. succeed. In a, in a perfect world, DHS would not be a thing. Right. 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 We wouldn't we wouldn't have a need for foster care and adoptions. We wouldn't have a need for um, uh, for investigations. But we're not there. And I think just to add on a little bit more, Zach, to that is we have a whole team, a whole unit of people um, in child welfare called family centered services where they are working outside of the scope generally of the court involvement. And it's more of a, um, what we'd call like a volunteer based for the family. So the family is working voluntarily doing some services, getting those things done to correct whatever behaviors there were. And uh, like Zach said, when there's a safety plan, that really does allow the family who may just be in a bad line and it is a, uh, it just provides them an opportunity to reset for a moment, get, you know, get what they need to, to have done. So that way it's not, um, it is no longer a potential safety threat to the child. Right. Right. I think that's, it's always this, the safety of the child. And I like the way you said that, you know, we're seeing that maybe just a short break. And I think sometimes people think foster care, they're pulled from their home and they have a trash bag, which I know that that happens, all that stuff. But it's nice to hear that kind of other side was, hey, just kind of need to take them away. Go live with aunt and uncle for a month or whatever, whatever the case would be. And right. I, that's good. And that's great to hear that some of these things are happening now. And you're seeing, you know, that's hopefully that's on the positive. All right. So kind of the last core question I'm going to ask you is what surprised you the most? Or what is one of the biggest surprises you've had working in this industry that you're in? Man, that, that that's can a happen big to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think we learn that the, these families that we're working with, there's nothing just like 
extraordinarily different from me and you. The tendency is that they're they're very much alike us. Um, that that we share a lot of the same even qualities in wanting to care for our children. But sometimes there's a lack of resources and tools to be able to do so. Um, I would say that's ultimately like for me, just working for DHS. Um, yeah. Uh, to me, and I'm sure both of you, since you guys are dads and you guys have kids and all that, um, I hear it and I don't necessarily see it all the time, but working with the kids and working with the foster families and working in foster care and adoption, um, one of the big things that surprised me to see how true it actually is, is it truly takes a village to raise a child. Like you, I think in so much, so many instincts or instincts, not instincts, um, we realize that we think it's just a phrase um, and it's, it's not an actuality when reality is, is even if you don't think you're ready to foster, um, kind of like what you and Greta, um, are thinking, you're like maybe eight, nine years, we might be the perfect home, but there's even right now, there's a spot for you. Even if it's, you know, taking your buddy who, you know, is a foster, um, foster home, maybe it's taking them a meal once a month. Maybe it's, you know, doing the small things like, hey, uh, I don't know what your DHS worker will say, but how would you feel if we took the kids? Like, what do we need to do to make that a thing just to give the parents a night out? Um, and so it's really seeing all these pieces come together and build this tribe to make sure that these families are success successful because the families I've seen that are the most successful are the ones that have that tribe and have those people built around them. I, that's pretty common. I see, you know, getting more people, not just yourself. You just can't depend on yourself and can't expect the government, you know, to do it all in your situation, you know, in, in that responsibility, you can't expect DFS to do everything uh, in that. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we think that at least I think a lot of people, Oh, the government's got it. Or, or, or Hey, this agency. And I, and I, I think that's good the way you put that Zach was enlightening because it's like, Hey man, you're just taking a meal. And that's kind of stuff I've heard from other foster dads as well. All right. So I'm going to take you to our fifth down question. I'm going to kind of wrap it up here. What's your favorite part of the job? What's the one thing you just love that you love about your job? Uh, I mean, for me, it's meeting not only the children, because um, with us having our, our job that we do, I think that a lot of the kiddos when I was working with the families have left a lasting impact um, to where I like, if I see one of their names come up or if I all randomly think back and I'll be like, Oh yeah, I remember when I took them to go do this um, just cause it's something they wanted to do. Uh, but also just meeting the families um, and especially like meeting them where they are and convincing them that they are enough. Um, and it's not, we're not asking for anything extra um, sometimes just opening your home is more than enough compared to what some of these kids have had. So to me, that's a couple of the things. Yeah. So favorite part of my job, I would say is podcasting. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> that's a great, what's your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> we'll plug you. What's your socials? I'll give you a, what do you want? All uh, my parents yeah. will listen. So, I really enjoy getting out there and just, Outreach is a is obviously a big part of our, our job. 
and um, just getting out there and talking to the community. Like we have to be in the community. We have to know who the community is because if there is an element of wanting to convince someone that this is a, a good thing for them, then we have to know who they are. Um, but ultimately I just enjoy getting out there to know who, who it is that, that may or may not want to foster and just getting to know who they are. And making connections is such a huge part. So yeah. I would, I would just piggyback off that. Yeah. I think that's in most jobs, making those connections. Mm-hmm. All right. So, something I ask all my people is you guys have a billboard since you're on the foster side of things, what would you put on there to to get people to foster therapeutic or traditional? What, what would you, you have that billboard? Listen, we're in Oklahoma. So you can see that billboard from you know, hundred miles away, but you know, what would you put on that billboard as in, what would you know, basically like what advice is short advice, billboard advice. Yeah. Uh, so Terry and I are actually laughing a little bit um, because we were talking about, we were going over the questions before we even got on this call. Um, and I said, no matter what, Terry, do not steal my billboard. <laughs> I was looking forward to this question. <laughs> um, but I think the, the one thing simple two word, or or two to three word phrase is just get too attached. Um, I think that covers it overall more than anything because so many people uh, when we're looking at foster care or adoption um, are afraid of getting so attached, especially on the foster care side that they're gonna have to give the kiddo up. And we want that because if you're getting too attached then that means you're giving that kiddo like a loving home. You're giving them everything that you would give your own child. And yeah, it may suck when they go back home, but hopefully you've built a good enough connection with the parents and the child that you guys are still gonna have that phone call or that Zoom or McDonald's play date, whatever it may be. Um, So I think the big thing is just get too attached. Like it, how about you, Terry? What was yours say? Yeah, this is a hard one for me to figure out. And I'm, I put a lot of thought into this and I was like, man, I should just like relate to Zach because like, I like his. Um, I really like the idea of maybe challenging some, some perspective on it. Like if not now, when? And so Deep. Um, there's been a new show out on YouTube. Um, it's called The Chosen. And that's one thing that, is asked a couple of times throughout this show, like, if not now, when? Uh, so I really, I took it from there, but I, I, I think that it applies here um, for people because it takes, it takes people a lot of time to process whether or not they want to foster. They, I think we've statistically, you have to show someone something seven times before they want to make a decision on it. Hey, that's, that's a great, both really good answers. I appreciate that. All right. I'm going to end off instant family. Do you like it? How true? Uh, I mean, I'm going to have to give you the honest answer is I still need to watch it. Oh, come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> um, man, I have not seen it either. <laughs> I'll delete this. This is coming out of the podcast. I was like, man, I, I know like we are time. probably the only two DHS workers that work in foster care that have not seen this movie. There were foster care workers at the movie premiere 
recruiting other people to foster. So that's awesome. I've yeah, I've heard from, I've heard it's it's pretty. It, it, yes, it's Hollywood. You're never gonna fully nod, but I've heard it's from listening to other. It's fairly realistic. You, as a I've teacher in the movie, they kind of go this. Oh, this is so easy and great. My kids are great. And then as soon as that honeymoon's over, man, I, you get about a week or two in high school, and then it's on. I mean, it's like let's go, ding ding, and it. Uh, I mean, I think in real life you get that honeymoon period. You see it as a teacher, you're going to get that honeymoon period for a couple of weeks. You're like, man, these are the best students ever. And then all of a sudden they'll start pulling pranks on you or being late to things or skipping classes or whatever. That's true. And I think you can have the same thing here. <laughs> I think that it is, it is. I was curious. Uh, and I guess I'm in, just sad that you guys haven't seen it, that you can't give a, a movie review working for foster care. Uh, well, no, Hey, it's been awesome. Uh, for me to hear your guys' side, the way you view it. I know I've talked to dads and, you know, and, and once again, I'm going to reiterate, thank you guys for your work and your selfless work. I know that social worker and you guys, you know, don't get paid what you should, um, especially probably in Oklahoma. Uh, but uh, I, I know that you're, you're probably having a large impact and, and I'm going to speak for myself and, and just thank you. And thanks for coming on and sharing it. And it was, it was really awesome to hear your guys' uh, thoughts. You guys have any socials or anything you want to plug? Uh, you know, something you want to plug here? Uh, I mean, for the state of Oklahoma, I would say check out OK Fosters. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram, and it'll lead you to the potential of if it's your time to come and hang out with me or potentially Terry and maybe be a foster adoptive parent. Check those out. Um, I don't know about Terry. I'll put them in the show notes. I'll put that in the show notes. OK. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. OK Fosters would be would be the one for dhs well gentlemen thank you guys so much i know that you're getting paid but nonetheless i appreciate you coming on uh <laughs> thank you guys i appreciate you guys coming on today yeah, no problem thank you Dave. thank you guys what a really cool episode uh there's their thoughts and them sharing that was just really great and i appreciate them coming on and just that view of foster care is just not one that i've ever heard and so it's good uh, especially since Terry was a father himself, he had a different perspective. And Zach, being unmarried and a, having a fiance, you know his perspective. And both of them been in there now, veterans of the foster care system. Once again, you guys know, follow us on the socials: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, if you have a prayer request or have a show idea or you want to be a guest, hit me up at adoptivedadplaybook at gmail.com or you can hit me up on Instagram. Love to hear from you guys. On that, be safe, have a great summer, and look forward to next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Adoptive Dad Playbook. Be sure to follow us on social media 